word for temple had to do with this temple precincts. And that's what this word is. Not the inner sanctuary. They're going up to the temple courts, we may say. And they're walking into those precincts. And they're going in there to pray. And Luke says it's about the ninth hour. That would have meant it was 3 p.m. Now, sacrifices were performed in the morning. They were also performed at 3 p.m. But there were no sacrifices at 6 p.m. In the evening part of praying. So they're going up at a strategic time, right? They're going up there at a strategic time. Sacrifices were being performed, and they're going up to pray, yet it is significant. And here we have Peter and John going up. Remember, in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, prior to his death and resurrection, Jesus sent them out two by two. And here is Peter and John fulfilling that, but they're going up with a whole lot different mentality this day than they went out before, Right? Because Jesus has been crucified and came forth from the grave. But they're going up two by two. They're going up with an opportunity to to do mission. They're going up to spread the gospel. Do you think they had it in their minds as they were walking up into those temple precincts? This temple is obsolete. The real temple has come down from heaven. The real temple has given his life. The real temple now, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, is in us. They were walking up as the real temple with the true sacrifice having forgiven them of their sins, and it's already been made. They're going up on behalf of the King, the Lord Jesus. So you got Peter and John, but you also have another character. As you read the text, you've got a lame man. Now, Luke was a physician by vocation. So there is intricate detail that's given to us. He would have been interested, of course, in medicine and health. And this lame man was handicapped from birth. Notice how Luke, such a um, historian, but also strategically giving us information. Here is a man that's born from his birth. That means his lameness came from, it was congenital. Now there are many ways in which people can become lame, such as disease or accidents. And there are many people that are lame today that can remember what it was like to walk. And we take that for granted today, don't we? Because we just go on our way and we're just walking and uh, some of us can still run. I'm getting to the place where that's harder, hurts a lot worse. But they can remember the joy of being able to walk and to run and to leap for joy. But now those days are gone, but you can at least remember that. But this man was born lame. Never in his entire life had he stood on his own two feet unaided. Now think about this for a moment. Never in his life had he once experienced what we take for granted in just walking down the street. The passage says that he was carried to the temple. Can you get the picture in your mind of them just reaching under his armpits, back or front, scooping him up and carrying him into the temple? In Peter and John's day, there was no welfare system, folks. There was no disability to draw from. So people who had a disability had to be utterly dependent on friends and family to take care of them, to give them daily sustenance. There was no way that this man could get an income. So his friends and family carried him there every day. They were devoted to this man. And the Bible says they carried him to a gate called the beautiful gate. Scholars argue about this. It's pretty incredible how they measure on the miners. But they argue about what gate this could possibly be. Some say it was made of complete pure gold. But I want you to know that that's 
really irrelevant to the story. It really doesn't matter which gate he was in. The fact of the matter is, the reason they mentioned the gate is because there was going to be a steady uh, motion of traffic in this particular temple area. So it is highly possible that this man had been placed at other locations during the day. But at this particular time, he was moved to the temple gate called Beautiful. And in all likelihood, they took him there and other places so that he could beg for alms. So people were paid on a daily basis. So think about how strategic this is. It's about the end of the working hours. And when they get paid, the people who were devout and religious would take their money immediately to the temple so that they could give an offering. So in other words, this was a very strategic location for this man to be parked. Incidentally, by this time, according to the Didache, Jewish writings, it was actually a form of religious works and giving to give an alms. In other words, you're doing God a favor by giving out alms. And you know how the Jewish people were. Of course, they want to make sure that they follow all their religious virtues. So, now, wow, story's about to get good here, right? Right? As we're tracking what's going on. So he begins to ask for alms. And he's repeatedly doing this, asking for money. And it's probably from Roach. You could just imagine how this is going And all of a sudden in verse 4, Peter and John fix their gaze on this man. They're looking at him intently. It's the same Greek word where the disciples were intently gazing up into heaven, watching Jesus ascend, and the angels say, why are you standing here gazing? Right? Same word. They're intently looking upon him. They're fixing their gaze on him. And what is the dynamic that we will all avoid when we come upon a beggar? I've got behind some of you on the interstate. And you pull off over there on James River somewhere, and there's a man at a median, and he's begging. He's homeless. And we're like, we don't want to look, do we? Be honest. Don't look at me so spiritual, right? We, we, the last thing we want to do is look because we think, oh, he's coming to our window. He's going to walk over. And we don't want to look because it's somewhat embarrassing that you have something you could give them, and you don't, Right? And we're all that way, and of course, we know they're hirelings, and there's some of those guys that stand on those street corners, probably have more money than me and you. We know some of the stories. But they say, look at us. And this carries a sense of urgency. Now, I think this breaks all the protocol for begging, doesn't it? When the lame man, uh, of course, if, you're, if you say to somebody begging, look at me, I mean, what do you think the beggar is going to think? Man, I'm about to get the mother load, right? They're about to strap it on me, and I'm going to get all kinds of things. And the text is very vivid here. He is putting his attention on them. Get this. They're intently gazing at him. Now, they've got his full attention, and people are just rapidly coming through. But they're, they're intently looking at one another, and each has the other's attention. At this point, you know he's all in. I'm yours. He's expecting a great, great payoff. What else would they be talking to me about? Why would they even look at me and notice that I'm here? So he's about to get more than he ever bargained for. Peter disappoints him, at least for a second, right? I do not possess silver and gold. Do you think for a brief moment that the beggar was tempted to say, Oh, you've got to be kidding me. You, you know, you asked me to look at you, and now you're telling me you don't have anything Yet what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
arise and walk. The text can be rendered, silver and gold is not in my possession. In other words, I'm as broke as you are. Now, he's not like our TV evangelist today, right? He's not sporting a Rolex and Gucci shoes. Gucci, Gucci, whatever. I don't even know how to say it. I sure don't have any. I wear boots, see? Well, the fact of the matter is, they were following more in the line of their master's teaching. Jesus said, birds of the air have nests, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. They didn't have money belts on. They didn't have big money belts, so they're ministering in his name. And, of course, there's no doubt that Peter and John are working through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is operative through his word. He never does a miracle willy-nilly. Okay? This is not a healing fest camp meeting. This is the reason for this is tied to the preaching of the word. Because he's going to give a sermon after this. So in boldness, they know they're led by the Lord, operative through the Holy Spirit of God. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, or the, the Jesus Christ the Nazareth, rise and walk. There's no mistaking who he's talking about, right? This is happening in the name and in the authority of who? Jesus Christ. This is unmistakable. Now remember, this man doesn't have the natural ability to jump up and rise and walk. Jesus... When his miracles come, they come through the power of command, just like he commanded the world to be put in motion. So you got to have the power behind the command, and he has all power. And he speaks. So Peter grabs the hand and pulls him up, but make no mistake about it, he was healed by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was healed, transformed by Jesus Christ. There's an interesting story uh, that has gone around for years about Thomas Aquinas. And when he went, once visited the Vatican, he, he visited under Pope Innocent II. Now, Aquinas, of course, was amazed at the opulence, all that money at the Vatican in that particular day. It was prior to when St. Peter's was built, but even then, what a glorious headquarters the Catholic Church had, filled with riches, and the Pope was somewhat proud of all those riches. And he said to Thomas Aquinas, No longer do we say silver and gold, have we none. Thomas looked at the Pope and said, Maybe that's why you can no longer say rise up and walk. Amen? All right, that's just, that didn't cost you anything. Now what happens in verse 7 is an awesome demonstration of the power of Christ. Listen. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Now, folks, think about this medically. I mean, it's not as simple as you just jump up today and start walking. He has not walked in 40 years. It's congenital. Just think about all the medical stuff involved with the ankles and the sinews and everything working together. And what an awesome demonstration. Luke is giving us medical detail. Again, Acts 4.22 tells us the man was 40 years old. And immediately, his ankles were renewed. Right? Not like the TV show when one arm shorter than the other and all of a sudden, whoop, whoop, whoop. You know? This is an awesome thing to consider that a man congenitively, 40 years, he has not walked. And now the Bible tells us that he has renewed strength in his ankles. For decades, he'd been carried to the temple. He all of a sudden now uh, is, 
whereas he has been the recipient of charitable donations, and now he's been given the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the story doesn't end there. 3.16, note what this says. Chapter 3, verse 16. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Notice the dynamic of faith that had been given to him. In other words, he was transformed by the gospel of Christ and saved by grace through faith. And also the physical health was restored to him and he was able to get up and walk. Chapter 4, verse 10, listen to the word of the Lord. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. I mean, he's going to hang around with him for a while, isn't he? He's going to be like public exhibit number 1A, right? That Jesus Christ has the power to transform a life. And verse 8 is absolutely awesome. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. He stood up, began to walk, and, to, and started jumping. I mean, he pulls him up, and he stands up, and he begins to walk, and he begins to leap. And he's, he can't contain the joy that is in him. You reckon this guy cared what other people thought? I know how you Baptists are at first Baptist. You kind of want to respond to a song, and you kind of look over at your neighbor wondering what somebody's going to think. But that's not the way this guy was. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ had transformed his heart and his health, and he couldn't contain it. You reckon those people that were so religious said, man, you can't do that in the temple? I mean, this is subdued around here. I mean, formal, right? Liturgical. You can't act like that in the temple. Imagine if you were him. You've been dependent on others to pick you up by your arms and place you at this particular site to pick you up and put you on that mat every day of your life and all you did for your income was totally dependent upon what you got from other people and this was the way it was for you every single day and now he enters the temple walking and leaping and praising God that's marvelous right to consider this I wonder what Peter and John were doing you reckon they did a fist pump, jumped up and bumped arms? What about a, just a wide open chest bump, knocked each other down? I mean, you know full well that they had to be ecstatic. As a matter of fact, when it says the word amazement here, it is the word ecstasy. When the people are absolutely filled with amazement. They probably patted each other on the back and patted him on the back. And here are these rugged fishermen walking with this man up into the formal temple. The place where they believed God dwelled. And here's this man who absolutely cannot contain himself. It'd be nice if we acted a little bit like this on occasion. Right? You know Baptists are going up first in the rapture, right? Because it says the dead in Christ shall rise first. <laughs> right? I mean, just think about that for a moment. We just, and we, we come in here thinking, recharge us, make us joyful, give us emotions, it ought to be enough that Jesus saved your soul. 
It ought to be enough that the Lamb of God came down from heaven to sacrifice himself so that you might be saved. They can't contain themselves. So this man is walking and leaping and praising God. He's no doubt shouting. Maybe he's writing a song, I once was lame, but now I'm up walking and jumping. The joy and exuberance was stunning. He's making a spectacle of himself, and he didn't care one bit. And I think some of us care way too much about what other people think. We do, especially in regard to our faith. We, we kind of want to fly under the radar, camouflage our Christianity, live a secret service Christian so that no one would dare think that we belong to Jesus. Right? Well, this guy was unbounded in his exuberance for the Lord. He didn't care one bit what other people thought. Why? Because for 40 years he couldn't walk. And now not only can he walk, but he's saved by grace through faith. In the power of Jesus' name. This man is leaping into the temple. Verse 9, Luke emphasizes that all the people saw him. This is important. Uh, can you imagine how they were headed into the temple all piously, like always before, ritualistically, going, 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 uh, giving, their, giving their money, dropping it into the coffer, and going back about their business, going up in the hour of prayer. And all of a sudden, they meet this man who's running around saying, Hallelujah! You know, man, that'll knock the piousness out of you right quick, won't it? And they see him. And here's the emphasis. They know who he is. They've walked by him. Some of them could say, you know what? I've seen you sitting there 20 years. And now you're up running around praising God. He's up. He's walking. He's leaping, praising God. And Luke's, as Luke's tendency is, he will at this time tell us, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So he's going to tell you that the gospel is triumphing. It's, it's, it's advancing just like the master said. Why? Because Jesus, he is presently enthroned in heaven. And what he was doing and what he began to do and to teach in Luke, he's now doing continually in the book of Acts and today through the power of the Holy Spirit of God and operative through his word. So he's reminding us of the triumph of the gospel. Again, this is not a hallelujah camp meeting in the sense of uh, a miracle display. God does nothing willy-nilly. So the reason he's doing this is to teach them the principle that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The kingdom has come, and the transforming gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will advance, and it will accomplish what God intends for it to accomplish. And again, that word amazement is the word ecstasy. People were absolutely full of amazement and joy at what had taken place. Now, three lessons about this miracle. Are you ready? A little bit of ink is better than the best memory. Y'all got a note? You got, by the way, there are outlines strategically placed. This door, and this, these, this door and these two where you can grab an outline as you come into the church every Sunday. Would y'all know that? Yeah, they're there. Here it is. First, the apostles are authenticated as true messengers of the Messiah. See it on the board? Verse 316 and 410. Why, why do they reiterate this? Because, folks, they're witnesses of the resurrected Christ. So when this miracle takes place through them, it, it make no mistake about it, Jesus Christ healed the man. But the administration of the gifts through the apostles authenticated that these were true messengers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It reminds me, Jesus said to them, you'll do greater things then you've witnessed me do. Right? Think about this. So, why should you listen? Why should you give ear to what they're saying? 
in regard to the fact that this man was made whole. Why? Because they are witnessing and they are ministering in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And since I'm once again in the neighborhood, let's build this for a second. Listen, Acts chapter 2, we get to verse 21, and it shall come to pass. No, let's back up. Remember Peter in verse 14? This is that. This is a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. And the end of Joel chapter 2 verse 32 says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the, say it, name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Peter starts his sermon in verse 22. And he gets down to verse 36 and says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Lord Jesus Christ whom you crucified. Do you see what he's doing? The name has everything to do with character and who you are. And the name is associated with Lord Kyrios in verse 36, which means out of Psalm 16 and 110 that this name is none other than the name of Yahweh. He is God in the flesh. And he is God Almighty. So Peter's not only saying Jesus is the Messiah, he's saying he is God. And so when it comes over to these apostles, as their ministry is authenticated, the one they're connected to is God. They're messengers of the Lord. That's the first thing. Number two, the apostolic miracle provides a platform for preaching. And this is the pattern throughout the book of Acts. You have a miracle, and then you have the preaching of the word. This is not random, folks. Jesus could have healed anybody, everybody. And he could have even healed them all through the apostles. But he didn't do that. This was not random. It was specific, not just because somebody had a need. So here's the deal. Remember this? Deed revelation is always followed by word revelation. Why? Because you can't be saved apart from the word. Faith cometh by and hearing By the word, you can be made whole all day long physically, but that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Are y'all listening? Yes. So this was not a miracle crusade or a healing service. This was a miracle that served as an antecedent for something that was even greater. And that greatness was the proclamation of the resurrected Christ, who has the power to forgive you of your sins, not just tell you to rise up and walk. Right? Number three, the miracle performed on temple grounds will mark the start of persecution. This pattern's a long history, isn't it? This pattern has a long history. Do you remember Jeremiah? The Bible tells us that he preached for 40 years. And he actually preached in the temple precincts. Was Jeremiah given an ear? No, folks, he was given a boot. They actually threw him in the well, his own family members, because he was teaching the truth about Yahweh God. Think about the ministry of Jesus. Did Jesus ever have any problems in the temple? Remember that day he picked up that whip? Remember that? And he runs the money changers out and turns over the tables? That's pretty violent for this meek and mild servant, right? Do you think the temple people knew how many times the Lord of glory came up in there and they come back and say, this happened in that name, the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So, the, the temple grounds will mark the start of this persecution. The apostles will focus on the temple. The temple will be the theological center of what happens. And it's going to be the theological center of where persecution begins to take place first. Now remember, these are hillbillies. Right? They're from Galilee. They're not from Jerusalem. 
If they'd have just stayed down there in Galilee, no big deal. But they brought their religion up to the temple. Praise God they did. Right? Praise God the gospel advanced. So those, those are the three lessons. Now let me give you three theological themes real quickly and we're done. The church is the manifestation of true Israel. The church is the manifestation of the true Israel. How do we know this? Deuteronomy 15 tells us that there should be no poor among you in the land. Now, we're going to have the poor around us, but he tells us the ones of us, the people of God, there should be no poor among you. You take care of one another. And you should see the irony of this. Here's this man in Jerusalem. Jews of all Jews, Israelites of all Israelites, Hebrews of Hebrews, and he's sitting in there with people who are supposed to be taking care of him, and he's begging for alms. Now, if there was ever a significant place to represent Israel, it would have been in the temple, right? Yet here's this man begging, begging for bread in the temple. And who actually steps up to the plate and demonstrates the taking care of the poor? It is the people of God that's been transformed by Jesus Christ. Do you see that in chapter 2, verse 42? That they were meeting everybody's needs that needed to be met. They're giving of their sustenance to help others in need. So, what we see here is the impotence of old Israel. Unable to take care of their poor. But yet the power of the new Israel in Jesus Christ to take care of the poor and save their souls. Alright, lesson number two. We also see the theme of the temple. In this passage alone, the temple is mentioned not once, not twice, not five times, but six times the word temple is used. So the temple was supposed to be the place and power of God. And when you get to, he, when you get to Acts chapter 7 and the first martyr is going to preach his sermon, his name is Stephen. He's going to preach a full-length sermon about the fact that the glory of God is not confined and restricted to that temple. Right? That's going to be it. But the temple, to them, was the place of sacrifice. The only way they could get right with God. But here's the deal, folks. The true temple has already come. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's already made that once-for-all sacrifice for sin to restore fallen, diseased, sin-sick man. And as the ascended Lord and Christ, He's able to transform people through his power and through the gospel. And so Peter and John are walking up to this sacred ground. And I want to tell you, the miracle didn't take place because the ground was holy. The miracle took place because the Lord Jesus Christ was in them and able to save. That's why it took place. And here they are walking up into the temple of God. And they're indwelt by God himself. Isn't that awesome? They're walking up to the temple. Do you think that they ever stopped long enough to think about that? I bet they did. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, lives in me. He's just been poured out in me by the, in, the, in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. And they're walking up into the temple precincts. They're filled with God Almighty. And they've got the gospel and the keys to the kingdom in their hands. And they're able to share Jesus with people they come in contact with. And you know what they were able to say? The final sacrifice has been made. Anything you do behind that veil now is useless. It's obsolete because the debt has been paid. All right, break out of the Baptist tradition and say, Amen! Amen. Right? Aren't you thankful to God that the sacrifice has been paid? So the temple 
is that huge theological understanding. The miracle did not happen because they were standing in Jerusalem at the temple. It happened because this man came in contact with the living God. All right, number three, the theology of the miracle. The theology is a demonstration that King Jesus is restoring that which is fallen, lame, and ruined. Such is your plight today, whether you can walk or not. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, next week we're going to hear Peter's second sermon. And that's the point he's going to make. Seasons of restoration are in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. He can restore those. For proof, Peter will turn and say, You see this man hooping and hollering? And running around that you know was lame for 40 years, he's been transformed by that name, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, this miracle of healing is an x-ray, y'all listening? And it's a preview, okay? By way of x-ray, it makes clear what faith in Jesus Christ produces on the inside. As astonishing as it is for this man being lame for 40 years to walk into the temple... The cure for his paralyzed heart in sin is even greater. Are y'all listening? I mean, it's one thing for him to walk in there. But folks, had he never been redeemed, he'd have walked straight into hell. But the power of the restoring, the restoring power of Jesus Christ. Remember that when he tells the paralytic to, uh, when he's in Mark chapter 2, when they bring him in before him, he tells them, your sins be forgiven you. Not only arise, take up your mat and walk. And of course, the Pharisees all of a sudden say, huh, he's blaspheming. He thinks he's got the power to forgive sins. You got it, buddy. He does. And that's exactly what you see in this text. It's an x-ray by us looking into the fact that for God to save you and your paralyzed sinful condition of your heart is a greater miracle than saying, rise and walk. And as a preview, we see Christ's final restorative work When believers' physical bodies are made whole. Folks, that's just a that's just this is a preview of the fact that one of these days, every single one of you will pass, if not through this church, some cemetery, some funeral home, you're gonna pass through in a box. I traveled to Georgia this week and did a funeral. (laughs) Man was 70 years old when I led him to the Lord. Here going back 10 years later to do his funeral. And he was actually lame at 50 years old. Had a debilitating stroke and never could walk straight again. But I want to tell you something, folks. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And today he's with the Lord, but God is not finished. Because one of these days at the last trumpet, God's going to take that perishable body and he's going to make it imperishable. He's going to take that which could see corruption and He's going to make it incorruptible. And you'll forever be in heaven with a resurrected body. And this is just a preview, a prelude of what's going to happen in the future. When God speaks the word, the trumpet sounds, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. This is a preview of what's going to take place. Listen to Isaiah chapter 35, 4 through 6. Does this sound familiar? You know how I am about the Old Testament Does this sound familiar? Listen to this. 35.4. 
Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Man, God is so good. Amen. What a demonstration. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. Our God rules and reigns. And the apostles could say, we've got the proof right here. Here's a lame man leaping like a calf turned loose from his stall. All because of the power, transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what I beg of you today. I can't change a life. I can't convict a heart. But please don't miss the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. It can transform your life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Father, thank you for this story, this narrative. God, you're proving that your son is the Lord God of glory. By this lame man being healed, Lord. Father, thank you for giving us this. To show the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to save a life. Lord, I ask you, Father, according to your eternal plan, Lord, it's your call, not mine. Lord, would you convict a heart today of their lostness? And may they turn from sin and self and trust you and what you did on Calvary to save them from their sins. And then may they leap for joy at the transforming power of the gospel. God, we can remember what it was like to be lost in sin. And we can fast forward the joy in our hearts to know you. To know that our sins are forgiven. And that we are on our road to eternity. Even now. God, thank you for that. Lord, for Christians, God, help us to get over being concerned so much about what other people think. God, give us, give us boldness to proclaim your name. Now, Lord... No sense in us being selfish. You've done great things for us. You want to do great things for others. God, help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.